the negotiation that I had with Sequoia was, can you bring us some angels to help the company and the angels that can help us externally, but also people who, who could just be really helpful. Because we, because we were so early in our life cycle, we hadn't even had time to go and bring the angels on. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, and I'm on a mission to help founders oversubscribe their next round by learning from top VCs and entrepreneurs. I had a great interview with Bob Rosen, partner at Defy Ventures. They're a top VC based here in Silicon Valley. Bob had had a previous exit where he sold his company to Skype. My biggest learning, there's three kinds of angel investors that you should consider. Someone that's famous and it's going to bring credibility. Someone that's going to be able to connect you with other investors and customers. Bob talks about the power of having that celebrity investor on your board to really give validation to what you're doing for future VCs. Second biggest learning, always focus on a big and hard problem to solve. Now that it's easier than ever to build a SaaS company, make sure that you're focusing on something that's really hard. When I was a VC at Mighty Capital, I always asked, what are you going to do when the big companies see that what you're doing is working and they start to try to replicate what you're doing? How are you going to have that defendability? It's a great episode. You're going to learn a lot. Boom. And thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, first, you want to just tell us your background, how you got into to Defy VC? I'm a VC now, but I've actually been a founder before this. So I've been on both sides and uh, I actually ended up doing three startups. And uh, I started the first one myself in business school, raised uh, 10 million from Sequoia and Mark Andreessen and other folks right after graduation. So you know, got right into the thick of it, uh, had an amazing ride and crashed and burned, <laughs> it left a big crater, but I ended up doing three startups. The, you know, in all three cases, we had the right technology idea and vision. We raised a lot of capital uh, for each of them, but uh, it wasn't until the third one that we had like a really, I think really successful outcome for everyone involved. And that was a company called Quick, which is a mobile video company. So after doing three startups, then, then we, Quick was acquired by Skype. And I kind of moved from being a founder and kind of the all-purpose uh, kind of business leader in a startup to moving to a larger company. And so suddenly I was at Skype and they asked me to, to be on the leadership team there and to lead partnerships and business development. So I did that. We sold the company to Microsoft for about $8.5 billion. And then I was a GM at Microsoft for a couple of years. And from there, went to LinkedIn and uh, had a similar role there where I led partnerships, business development globally for about four and a half years. Um, actually, Coincidentally, I ended up getting acquired by Microsoft again, uh, and uh, and I stayed for about a year, and then and then from there I did one more. Um, even though I had already gotten involved in the investing angel investing scene, uh, but I, I had an opportunity to join the payments company Stripe um, in a similar role to be on the leadership team there to lead partnerships, and I I couldn't you know say no to that. So um, I did that for a period and um, learned a ton and. I've really been fortunate to work with such great founders and just great teams to, you know, to learn. And, uh, and so I ended up joining DeFi about two years ago. And actually DeFi is a kind of classic early stage venture capital firm. And it was co-founded by one of my classmates from business school. So we've known each other for 20 years. And so it's kind of a dream for me to be able to now be working both with friends uh, in the team here at DeFi and then also, you know, to be able to go back and work with founders and kind of try to be the investor that I always wish I had had when I, uh, when I was running a company. I love that. I, being on both sides of the table makes a huge difference. I, I had smaller but similar experiences. And once I was an associate at, at Mighty Capital, I, my eyes were wide open compared to when I was a founder. So I, I'm really excited to hear that. Uh, what, what would you say is the most impactful thing that you look for in a company that's raising right now, trying to oversubscribe the round? Sure. Well, 
obviously there's lots of challenges right now in the current market environment. We can talk more about that. And obviously people are going to be looking for traction in terms of revenue and in terms of user engagement, et cetera. But I think the, the biggest challenge that I always felt when, when getting really a zero to one and then raising your first, maybe second round of funding, you're trying to kind of build a complete package with all these data points showing that you are the right team, that this opportunity is big, that you have validation from experts, that customers are going to adopt it. Uh, and the question is always, how do you put together that complete set of data points that shows that you're the winning team, that it's a big opportunity and, and, and that, you know, that you're an investable company. And the, there's kind of a methodology that I used to do that, which, I mean, other people have, I'm sure, talked about this and there's different names for it. You can think of it as <clears throat> stacking or laddering <clears throat> or sequencing, but basically like you start by defining kind of what the end goals are that you're going to want to have. So, you know, we know when we go out to raise our round, we're going to want to be able to show that we have these customers and this revenue and that we have, you know, all this validation. But you kind of take it step by step and use one thing to build, to take you one step to the next thing. So instead of trying to accomplish everything at once, just figure out what's the most impactful next step that you can take that's going to unlock the door to the next opportunity. I can give you like an example of, you know, quick, the company that, you know, was acquired by Skype. We started, it was just, it was a great team. And so that's kind of the first ingredient. It's like, okay, this team it was clearly going to be successful in whatever they were doing. And each of the individuals involved had very strong skill sets and expertise in different areas. Start with a great team and then, okay, then what's the next step? Okay find a great problem to solve. So what's a big problem? And so for us, the problem was video on mobile. So on mobile networks, they're getting faster and faster. People weren't really using video yet, but it was clear that it was gonna be possible eventually. So let's solve that, right? So big problem, okay? And then from there, what's next? Okay, let's, let's figure out what are the core technologies that are hard to build that make it difficult for others to do this? Why hasn't it happened before? And then, so we spend a lot of time with a great team working on this great problem to build a set of core technologies, right? And then we use that set of things to then start bringing in angels, right? And we got great angels. So it wasn't just any angels, we got great people and angels we can talk more about are a really good way for a early company to show validation, right? And so, and we can, I have some other examples on angels that could be helpful. At Quick, we ended up raising $7 million from angels, okay? And we had, some of them were, you know, brand name people. Some of them were, um, you know, people who were just friends and family. But, uh, you know, and some people end up being really helpful, although nobody knows about them or who they are. And then we had some who were quite exceptional, like, you know, Mark Andreessen and Ben Harwitz both invested in Quick when they were, before they raised the fund. So they both, you know, wrote 50K angel checks, right? And it was amazing to have folks like that involved, right? So you build this kind of set of data points where it's like, okay, you have a great team working on a big problem. You have core technologies that are really important that you've built that are defensible. You get great angels to give you validation and some money. And then from there, we built a great product. We built something that users like to use and we made sure we had organic user adoption. And then once you have all that, then you can start stacking on top of that. So then it was like, okay, suddenly there was an industry dynamic happening and we 
played well into what was happening in the industry. Apple launched FaceTime and we were the video calling alternative on mobile. Okay, that's good. So then we used that industry dynamic to get a great partner for our launch. So we partnered with Sprint. So suddenly we've gone from just a group of folks who are building something to now we have, we are the launch partner for Sprint with their 4G network or EVDO at the time, right? And so you kind of use one thing to get the next. Then once we had Sprint, then we could get other carrier partnerships. So then we got T-Mobile, then we got AT&T, then we got Docomo, we started doing this, right? And then we use that to get OEM partnerships. Then we got we got Samsung deal finally. You know, we just use one thing after the next. And so this is kind of to me the path of this is really how you build a startup is you start with an, an a, you know a small group of people and an idea and you just keep stacking and stacking and stacking. Mm, this is incredible. Two things I want to dive into. Uh, first, tell us more about the angel outreach that you did. Like tactically, yeah. if I'm sitting there right now, it's like okay. Let's get some good angels. We're not going for VCs or even accelerators. We want yeah. some angels. What did that look like? Where did you start to source them? How did you do the outreach? That kind of stuff. Sure. So um, angels can be really helpful in a lot of ways. If it's a famous person or someone that has a reputation or certain stature, it's not really about their money. It's about the validation that you'll get from being able to say that person's involved. You, you'll also find that angels can be super helpful in introductions, connecting with customers, connecting with investors. Um, and, and then there's somewhere it's really just kind of about the money and you, you know, you need capital to get going. And so sometimes, you know, it's, it's an uncle or someone who can just write you a check and get off the ground and hopefully those people end up doing really well out of it. Right. Um, I'll give you an example is kind of funny, but when I did my first startup, I was coming out of business school. We were negotiating with Sequoia and we were incredibly lucky. We had just won the business plan contest at Harvard Business School. So there was some excitement about what we were doing. I had some great co-founders working with me who were super smart. So I think we came across as a team that was, that was capable. And we had an offer for, at the time, you would raise on a PowerPoint deck, you'd raise $10 million Series A, right? <laughs> Things have changed a little bit since then. And, uh, and the negotiation that I had with Sequoia was, can you bring us some angels to help the company and the angels that can help us externally, but also people who, who could just be really helpful because we because we were so early in our life cycle, we hadn't even had time to go and bring the angels on, right? We had the VC first. And so Sequoia was phenomenal as they are. And they connected me to Mark Andreessen, who ended up investing and we, we had, a, and we got a bunch of other people like that. We actually had the angel, the angels introduced to us by the, the VC investor that really wanted to win the deal. And it was sort of like, okay, you know, Sequoia in this case, if you're serious about wanting to work with us, can you help the company? Can you show that you can help the company? And they brought help with us bringing those angels. And it helped Sequoia too, because it gives them data points because they hadn't committed anything and they get to have a bunch of their experts meet us and they're going to get the back channel feedback about whether or not, you know, those people think this is a good idea. And when, when those folks said, yes, like, you know, Mark and others said, yes, this is a good idea. I'll put my own money in that makes Sequoia even more comfortable. So it helps the, the venture investor, but it also helped the company. So that, and that was an unusual case. Usually it's the other way where you're, you're stacking or sequencing and you're getting intros and um, finding the right person. I guess the last thing I'd say about it is, Think of the end goal that you want to end up with. So imagine the press release. Um, and so, you know, even though you, you may be a year away from that point, imagine like, okay, this is what our launch announcement is going to look like. And you want to be able to say, okay, we have 
these three brand name customers in these different industries. You want to say we have these people quoted or endorsing us. What is the kind of complete package again that you'll want to present at the end? And then you can follow your like this sequencing or laddering or stacking and work your way to get to those people. Did you make sure that you were building a core, hard, difficult technology before you started to work on the product? A lot of uh, companies nowadays seem to have forgotten about what it used to be in tech was building technology and not just having a business model or an idea. And so, so many companies are using existing tools and just kind of building a user interface and trying to, you know, maybe build a marketplace, but they haven't built anything that's really difficult or hard. And often the most successful companies, there is some core technology there. Otherwise everyone would be doing this thing, right? Take an example. We have a company in the portfolio called Airspace and they're doing phenomenally well. And what they're doing is high-speed logistics. So you need to get an airplane part from place A to place B today. What is the route that you're going to use? And they use a shared network. It's kind of like Uber drivers that will take the package from one step to the next. And what's interesting for them is from point A to point B, there's a million different routes for how you could get this parcel from A to B really fast. And they spent a lot of time building this core technology around that algorithm to be able to find what is the fastest, best, most reliable path to get from point A to point B. And so they start with a technology asset like that, that's very hard for others to build or compete with. And then you build a business around it, you start to get momentum around the business. But so many companies and so many startups that I see, there, there isn't really a core technology or something that's difficult and defensible that they've built over time. That's so good. It, it reminds me of Zoom, actually. Uh, the last startup that I had before I joined Mighty Capital, our CTO, yeah. uh, Chase Shin, uh, was earlier at Zoom. And he, he told me that they actually, they raised a lot of money just because that, you know, the founder had 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 built WebEx before, but they, they didn't even go to market with anything for like two years. They were just working on how do we make sure that we have the highest quality video possible before they even started going. Super hard problem to solve at the time. And, and then going from there. And it just makes me think of a lot of founders in this SaaS world where you can literally no code almost any technology solution, but it's easily replicable. So I, I, I love that thought because I do think of that as easily missed in this world of like just MVP, just throw it out there, see what the users say, then come back. So I really appreciate that. That's great. I mean, obviously there's plenty of successful companies that aren't built on a set of core IP, but you know, if you think about it, start looking at some of the companies that have been really successful and often what they're doing, there's something about it that's pretty hard. Right? Amen to that. That's incredible. What's the best way to reach out to you, Twitter or LinkedIn? I mean, I used to work at LinkedIn, so uh, LinkedIn is great. And uh, you can also, you know, you can find me at our, our website is defy, D-E-F-Y dot B-C. And I'm just Bob at defy dot B-C. Bob, thank you so much. This is amazing. Thanks, Adam. Really appreciate it. Great speaking with you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Top BC Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell. Check out my LinkedIn. Always willing to reach out, connect if you have questions, if you want introductions. This is a lot more than just a podcast. Boom.